Um, my name is Joe Mueller. Um, I am a member here at Remedy, and it's my privilege today to talk to everybody in the back five rows. Um, <laughs> wow, they're all empty. Um, uh, so our, our text today is uh, a text that I'm sure you guys have heard preached on before many, many times. Um, it's, it's an exciting text, and I am, I'm, feel very excited and privileged to get to share um, what I think uh, God would have us hear today. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm going to read our, our passage of Scripture, and so if you would all stand with me as, as we read God's Word. Uh, I'll be reading from Acts 2, 41 through 47. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the peoples, or with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You can go ahead and have a seat. So our our text today um, is history. It is fact. It is stuff that happened in the world. But these are facts, these are things that happen in the world that that have a theological significance. They matter, they have meaning. And in order for us to find the meaning in our text today, I want us to think of our text as a wedding cake. Right, so we've all seen wedding cakes. Uh, There's many weddings during this time of year. And most wedding, or a lot of wedding cakes, I don't know if most, they're tiered, right? They have this big base then they have another tier and another tier and another tier. And always at the top, right, there's always something there that's supposed to draw our attention. That's supposed to be the focal point of that whole cake. That whole cake is rising and pointing to this one centerpiece, which is usually a message about the bride and the groom, right? They, they are together now. They are, they are married. And this cake represents uh, them. And, and we're supposed to celebrate and love them. The, the point of the cake is not that it's a cake, but that it's a wedding cake. And the whole cake points to that point. And our passage today is a lot like that wedding cake. It rises to a single point, right in the middle. You may not have caught the middle of our passage as I was reading it. But there is a center, and we're going to try to figure out what that center is together. And I'm going to tell you what it is right now. It's in verses 243 b and 44. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. That is the center. And the center of our passage is a statement about, God's del- about God delivering his people from the enemies that hold them in captivity and bringing them into the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus Lord in Christ. That is the center of our passage today. God is at work among us. That is the point. And so let, let's pray as we, we approach this test so that we can see this point clearly. That God is here. That God is working. That God is doing great things among us. So Lord, we ask We ask that you would be among us, that you would be a God who dwells among your people. What happened at Pentecost was a great filling of your church with your spirit. And you are here now with us. You are here with us, moving among us. You are taking your word and you are washing us clean of all of our sins. You are creating in us a newness of life. You are recreating this world after the image of your son. You are the one accomplishing that. And Lord, I pray that this morning we would see that and that that would capture our hearts 
and that we would run to you with open arms because you are good and you dwell among us. And so God, be with us as we examine your word. Teach our minds and our hearts your truth. And your word is truth. And the truth will set us free. And so God, be here today. We love you, Lord. Amen. Now, for the base of our cake, right? We have a wedding cake. I'm reaching outside of the punctuation in your Bibles. Most of you begin a new paragraph and you may even have a little heading at the beginning of verse 42. If you're reading the ESV or the the NIV, that's what you have. If you're reading the NASB, you'll see that a new paragraph begins at verse 43. But very few of you, if any, have even heard of the Holman Christian Standard Bible. But that is the punctuation that I am using for this sermon, because I think it gets it right. And no matter what you see, the punctuation of your Bibles, I think it's very important that we see verses 41 through 47 as a unit. They are together. Whatever other sections you feel like verses 41 and 42 and 43 may belong in. Because look at the language. Look at what's going on in verse 41. It says, So those who received his word, right, those who are saved, in other words, were baptized, and they were added that day, about 3,000 souls. Now jump down to 47b. The Lord added to their number day by day, right? So we have added in the days, those who were being saved, which is the same thing as those who received his word and were baptized. So we bookend our passage here with statements saying the exact same things, just with different words. This is a foundational layer of our passage. And it shows us that God is at work in the world and that the Lord adds to his people. That's the first point of our sermon today. The Lord adds to his people. There are are four things about this adding that the Lord does that I'd like us to see. The first is preaching precedes adding. The second is that adding comes through baptism. The third is that it, it happens regularly And the fourth is that the Lord does it. So preaching precedes adding. Verse 21, those who received his word. Now this is the point of Fudd's sermon last week, so I won't won't get into it too much. But in order for someone to be added to the people of God, they must first believe. In order to believe, they must first hear. And in order for them to hear, someone must proclaim the message of the gospel to them. That is the only way someone can respond and believe is through hearing. And in a passage, it is the apostle, Apostle Peter, who just, just recently shared the gospel within his Pentecost sermon. And then later on in verse 47, it's, it's probably a lot of people who are sharing the message of the gospel with other people. They preached or to use what we commonly use today, they shared, right, the gospel. They preached the gospel. And this preaching and this sharing comes before anyone can be added to the people of God. And this adding to the people of God in, in this visible church that we're a part of comes through baptism. Verse 21 again. Those who received his word were baptized. Baptism is a holy sign and seal that makes spiritual reality visible, right? It is a God-approved analogy. It says that as water is used to wash away dirt from my skin, so certainly, so as certain as water hits dirt on my arm and washes it away, so certainly the blood of God, the blood of Jesus Christ and his spirit washes away all of my sins, The church is saying in baptism, as we dip people in the waters and raise them up, and the Lord is confirming to us, his church, that we are washed, that we are cleansed, that we are saved. And it is as certain, it is certain that it is so. And it is certain as the water is washing away the dirt from our bodies. Adding to the church comes through baptism. And this adding is not something that happens very irregularly. Irregularly. It is something that happens often. It happens day by day. Verse 21. And they were added 
that day. And then in verse 47, that the Lord added to their number day by day. Where the Lord is pleased to save, the church is pleased to add. We welcome all people into our, into our number. There is no one who we will deny who we believe that the Lord has saved. And may the Lord do this among us today. May the Lord day by day add to his numbers. May we share the good news concerning his beloved son. And may we add to our numbers through baptism daily. And now up to this point, right, the whole, the whole first point is that the Lord does the adding. But I've, so far we've talked about people preaching, right, and the church baptizing, These are people doing these actions. It was Peter who stood up and preached the gospel. It was a certain disciple who shared the gospel with this certain other Jew in Jerusalem, and they believed and were saved. These were normal people just like you and me. They had the same spirit that we have. But this isn't the whole story. It's not only us sharing the gospel and only us baptizing. The Lord added to their number day by day, those who are being saved. This is a work that the Lord accomplishes. The Lord meaning our Christ, Jesus. In the midst of all the church's preaching, all of the church's baptism, all of its daily faithful witness, it is really, actually, and truly the Lord who is adding and doing the work. So as Peter spoke in his sermon, it was as though the Lord was speaking to the people there. And as the church baptizes its members, it is as though the Lord is doing the baptizing. Think about the seriousness of that for a second. As we proclaim these truths to people, it is as though the Lord is speaking to them personally, directly, actually through us. We get to participate in the work of the Lord as we do these things. But at the same time, right, the church only says what the Lord has already said. We proclaim a gospel that Christ has proclaimed and shared to us. We baptize people who we feel that the Lord has already washed and made clean. And so, does, and so we go and we speak and, and let us go and speak the words of the Lord. And as we add to our number, let us do so diligently and seriously, knowing that it is the Lord who is doing the work. And the Lord is adding to his people, and he is adding them to something particular, something special, something unique in our world. The Lord is adding to his covenant community, the church. People who respond to his word and are baptized are not then free to be whatever they want and however they want it to be. They are added to something, and that is the church. And As we move on to this next section, this next point, we really begin to see our our wedding cake take shape, right? We started with our base, the Lord adding to his people. But now there's there's this next set of verses, verse 42 and verse 46 through 47a. Verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And then in verse uh, 46, if you jump over to that, you'll see it. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Now, at, at the very least, I think at the very surface level, you can see some, some points of connection between these two verses, right? Breaking of bread shows up. Uh, you also have the temple, which is also called by God the house of prayer, and you have prayers, right, in verse 42. But there's a very tight similarity and parallels verbally and uh, thematically in these two verses. It's almost as, as if, you know, verse 42 is rising up a couple steps with each thing that he says, and and on the opposite side, right, you have, so it ends on prayers and it starts with prayers. It then goes to breaking of bread, and then it, it has breaking of bread. So uh, that's, that's what I want to show you. So if I'm using the, the language of verse 42, you have a, a message of devotion. 
right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayers. And then in verse 46 through 47, you have devoted, then you have prayers, breaking of bread, fellowship, apostles' teaching. I hope I made that clear. If not, hopefully I'll make it clearer in a couple seconds. Uh, But this really matters, in my opinion. And it matters because the Bible seeks to draw our attention through repetition and structure, like it is doing in verse 42 and 46 through 47b. We ought to pay attention. When the Bible is doing that, I think it means for us to to pay attention. And because I I think that this passage is part of a slope, right? It's, It's pointing to a peak. And if if we're not catching the the contours of our mountain, so to speak, or our wedding cake, uh, I think we may miss the peak, and I don't want us to miss the peak. So let's start with the statements of devotion. In in our uh, ESV, it says devoted and attending in verse 47. The ESV translators, they've chosen to use different words so that it reads well in English. And, And that's good. I'm glad that they did that. We need to have readable English translations. But in doing so, they lost some of the connection that would exist there if you were able to read it in a different language. And again, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, I think, does a good job of capturing this connection. In their translation of verse 42, they say, and they devoted, them, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, much like we have in the ESV. But then in verse 47, every day... They devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. In in the Greek, uh, devoted and attending in the ESV are the same word. They're just translated differently because English is a different language. And so devotion uh, is a key component of what it means to be a Christian. We are devoted to certain things. In fact, there's four things that are covered in this passage. And these four things mark out what it means to be a community of faith. And I want to, I wanna, before we set out and look at each of these four things in succession, I want to say a quick word about these four things. These four things are spiritual things. They're spiritual. Also, these four things take what is common, which may be words or bread or wine or money that you have, and they put it what it, they put what is common to a spiritual use. And then I want us to notice how each will set us in a relationship as we, as we participate in these four things of community. They will set us in a relationship with our fellow men and with God. So what's our, our first thing uh, as part of our second point? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Doctrine. Doctrine matters. What we say we believe and what we believe matters. The early church was devoted to the teaching of the apostles. The early church listened to what the apostles said about who Jesus was and what he had accomplished and what he had accomplished meant and how those things changed the way that their lives were shaped and who they associated with and how they lived them. As we have seen in the Already in the earliest parts of Acts, if you have been here for the other sermons, is that, uh, that when, the, when the disciples picked a 12th apostle uh, after Judas died, and when Peter's Pentecost sermon, they are dripping with interpretations of the Old Testament. We can't understand what is going on in those situations without understanding what the apostles are teaching us about the Old Testament and how it is fulfilled in Christ. The apostles studied and interpret, interpreted, 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 right, the Old Testament. They reflected on the life of Jesus, life and ministry, and they taught the meaning of these things to the people. This happened on the first day of the week, Sunday, the Lord's Day, but also other times during the week. Their devotion was not limited to a single day. The people of God under the instruction of Jesus' successors, developed distinct and particular doctrine. And they pass that along to the Christian community. The Christian community is a teaching and a learning community. We teach each other the things of God. We are men teaching the scriptures. 
And the subject of our teaching is not little tips and tricks on how to get the most out of your life today, right? That's not what we do. We, the church, have things to say about who Jesus is, what he has done, and what it all means. We are the church, and Jesus, our Lord, is the focus of our teaching. It has always been this way and will continue to be this way. The next is fellowship. And they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Fellowship at its most basic level is simply sharing. Having something in common. Or being in something together. Whether it's a location or a situation. We have fellowship with people. You don't have fellowship with like rocks, right? You have it with people. So in Galatians 2.9, Paul is saying, when James and, and Cephas, who is Peter, right? And John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas, Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. But it isn't just, fellowship isn't just something that you have with human persons, it's also something that we can have with the triune God. 1 John 1, 3. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, that you too may have fellowship with us, right, the fellowship with people, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Note here how the church proclaims What the church proclaims, right, what they have seen and heard, the message about Jesus, it creates fellowship not only with each other, but also with the triune God. And we have fellowship through means, right? We have fellowship in the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation or fellowship in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation or fellowship in the body of Christ? You also have fellowship in the gospel. We get that from Philippians 1.5. We have fellowship in the gospel. We have fellowship in our sufferings with Christ. That's Philippians 3.10. And finally, it is used to talk about sharing of of our material blessings with those in dire need. 2 Corinthians 8. Paul says, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part or fellowship in the relief of the saints. They begged to have that fellowship. So we have fellowships with persons, the members of the Trinity and fellow believers through means, through the Lord's Supper, through the gospel, through suffering, through giving. God's covenant community is a community devoted to fellowship both laterally out to each other, but also vertically to up to our triune God, right? There's, there's an a, a outward dimension to people, but then also to God in our fellowship. And this fellowship is spiritual, but it's also visible, right? We have things like bread or hugs or shared goods. All those things come together in our fellowship. And this devotion to fellowship is beautifully communicated in the Lord's Supper. The breaking of bread. And they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. It seems wise to me to read this both as a reference to the Lord's Supper and also the common meal. So it's both and. That Christians would take together. But for the sake of time, I'm just going to focus on the Lord's Supper because it's cooler, right? Um, No, I just don't have enough time. Um... Both are very, very cool, okay? Uh, The Lord's Supper is a sign and seal to his people. It is a sign and seal. And and what does it say? What does it sign and seal? And it speaks to the work of God among us, cleansing us from all of our sins. As 1 Corinthians 11.26 points out, it proclaims the Lord's death until he comes. So what does the supper proclaim? It proclaims his death, but it doesn't those aren't the only words that it says. It doesn't say death. I'm going to read to you uh, out of the Second London Baptist Confession from 1689. So this is a document that's, what, 400-ish years old? 300-ish? Math, right? Math in public. It's it's terrible. Um, 
So Article 30, Paragraph 1. The Supper of the Lord was instituted by him the same night wherein he was betrayed. To be observed in his churches. That means we're supposed to do it, right? Unto the end of the world till he comes again. For the perpetual remembrance. Remember, do this in remembrance of me. Showing to all the world the sacrifice of himself and his death. Right? It speaks to his death. But it does more, right? It confirms, it says, confirmation of the faith of believers and all the benefits thereof. It confirms to you that you, as a believer in Christ, are washed by his blood. And that he has cleansed you of all of your sins. And that his body was broken on a cross so that your body wouldn't be broken forever in hell. It confirms that to you and all the benefits thereof. It feeds you spiritually. It says, their spiritual nourishment. It feeds you. And it grows you in him. And it, it, it encourages you in your duties to God. All the duties which they owe to him. And then it ends with this. And it says, and to be a bond and pledge of their communion with him. Your fellowship with your savior, Jesus Christ. But then it also says, and with each other. Now, an analogy that popped in my head was this. Imagine that we're all like little balls dangling on strings. And we're all sort of spread out all over the place, all over the floor, right? And then Jesus, this is kind of like what Jesus does. He picks up a string and, and holds it in his hand, right? And so, and then he grabs this other one, and then he brings it over to this other one, and he holds it together. And then he goes and picks up somebody else. And so as Jesus is collecting people into his kingdom, and he picks them up, he holds them together in his hand. And as he holds them, if you know gravity, right? Gravity like pulls everything down together. And as everything gets pulled down together, they all get pulled closer and closer and closer. That's what is going on in the Lord's Supper. As we get pulled up by him, and as we get saved, right? As he holds on to us, and he grabs other people and holds on to them, we, we start to form this community, this cluster at the bottom of the string. We're all sort of dangling down there together. And eventually, he's going to Keep pulling us up. Some of us get pulled up faster because we die sooner, right? And then when he comes again, uh, we're all together in heaven. But we're together. We have communion with each other. The Lord's Supper has a bonding function, both up to Christ, but also outwardly to our brothers and sisters. It is holy communion because we participate in the blood of Christ and we participate in the body of Christ when we take it. So let us devote ourselves to the breaking of bread, our spiritual meal. But not just the Lord's table. I said I wasn't going to talk about common meals, but I'm going to talk about it really quickly. Let us also break bread and a common meal together in our homes with glad and generous hearts, to use uh, the language of, of verse 46, so that we can say with each other whether we eat or whether we drink together, and sharing the bounty of God's blessings with each other, that we ate and we drank to the glory of God. The last statement that shows us how the church organizes its worship together is prayer. And they devoted themselves to the prayers. Church life was organized around and devoted to prayer. In the very next uh, section that we'll probably preach on. Uh, Peter is on his way to the temple when some, some stuff goes down, right? He's going there to pray. And prayer, simply put, is a conversation with God. It ought to be done corporately, together, through the minister as the mouthpiece, praying, and together with one voice in our songs. We pray together in our songs. So let's sing together with one voice, church. Let us sing with one voice. And it should be done privately in our homes as family units. And it should be done secretly as individuals in our closets, if you have one that you can fit in. I don't. Um, and prayer is absolutely necessary and is of great benefit to the people of God. And the church devotes itself to prayer. So, to, to sum up, right, the doctrine of the apostles, the fellowship of the holy Catholic Church, the Lord's Supper and love feasts, and the prayers 
all mark the corporate life of God's people. When you get added to God's people through receiving the gospel, through being baptized, that is what you are added to. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. It doesn't exist, right? We are added to a group. These are all activities that are done together. You can pray in isolation, but you don't only pray in isolation by yourselves. You can't hear the word preached without being among other people. You can't devote yourselves to the apostles' teaching without having a teacher. All these activities must be done together. And they have a person-to-person, but also person-to-God component. And group-to-God component. When we come together here on Sundays, we pray together. We don't get to do that every week. Or every day. We should do it every week. On the Lord's Day. Um, But we don't get to do it every day. And so today is a special day that we get to mark out uniquely. To be a time when we get to pray together. And hear the word preached. And partake of the Lord's table and baptisms together. They're also spiritual in nature. We teach about spiritual things. We share things spiritually. And our meal is a spiritual meal. And our prayers are spiritual prayers. And those who are saved by God are added to the people God, people of God who are organized around these activities of God. But these activities are not the only things that mark God's people. They aren't only people who do these four things. There's also something else that marks out the church of God. The church of God feels incredibly strongly. And that's going to be the next layer of our wedding cake. We'll see that layer in verses 43a and 245. And awe came upon every soul. That's 43a. And then 45 says, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. The first one is easy to see that it's a feeling, right? Awe. It's most commonly translated in the New Testament as the word fear. And fear is an emotion consistent with the right view of reality. That's what fear is. And, I, and fear biblically is very different than what we talk about fear here. Uh, I won't get into that too much, but it is very different. Fear in the, New, in the New Testament and the Old Testament is a right view of reality. We often see fear as a wrong view of reality that makes us scared. And that's not what it is in the, in the Bible. Fear is a right view of reality. You see things as they really are, and it makes you feel something. Awe or fear. Two different groups of people can experience the same thing and have the same emotion, but respond to it in two distinct ways. Great example of this, Matthew 28. Some ladies are going to the tomb of Jesus to, um, to, to do some stuff to his body so he doesn't stink in the tomb. Little do they know he's not there, uh, but that's what they're doing. Um, and an angel shows up, there are shakes, rolls away the stone, he sits on the stone, and the guards there are afraid. That's what it says. It says they're filled with fear. But they're so afraid that they can't do anything. They like become like dead men, it says. Matthew 28. But fear, they, it's, the word says fear. But then you have these women, right? Women. Um, who are not soldiers, right? They don't go around killing people. They don't go around doing mean things. They haven't experienced what these soldiers have experienced. They aren't hardened by war. But these women see the exact same thing. They see an angel on a stone in an empty tomb. And it says that they are filled with fear. But they they have a different experience of, of what's going on. Their fear leads to great joy. They are excited about what they've seen. And they run and they tell the disciples. So the same reality, seen by two different groups of people, produces the same emotion that has different consequences and effects on their lives because they have different relationships to that truth. The women saw what was true, that their Lord was risen and that he um, had defeated Satan's sin and death, that he had done everything that they had ever dreamed he could do. And they were super jazzed about it. It made them happy. And the same thing is going on here in Acts 2. That same phenomena. Where wonderful things are happening in Jerusalem, 
and God's people are filled with awe at what is going on. And to be sure, those outside are a little concerned. They don't know what's up. Makes them a little, feel a little weird. But the church is a church that fears the Lord. So fear is, is important, but also has its counterpart of love. Unbridled, unbounded love in, verses, in verse 45. Now again, this doesn't sound like an emotion, but uh, hopefully I can show you that it is. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds as all as any had need. Now that sounds a lot like doing. Like selling is a, is a verb, not a feeling. Clearly an action. But, but think about that for a second. Why would you or anyone sell anything that you have and give all that you got out of selling it for the good of somebody else? Who would you do that for? And what do you feel for that person? The more I think about this verse, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, the more I can only imagine that existing in a world where people felt heartfelt compassion and love for their fellow brothers and sisters. In, in my life, I would sell my house if it meant that my brother and his family could have food to eat, right? Like, I think we would all do that. Because I love him, right? I love my family. I love them so much that what I have doesn't matter to me. And I'm willing to give it all for them. And that is the same sort of love and compassion and care that was going on in that first century church. They felt so connected and so in love with each other that that what they had didn't matter to them. That what mattered more to them was that Susie could eat. Nobody was named Susie uh, back then. It's just an example. Um, But that's what they cared about. They didn't care about their house. They didn't care about their fields. They didn't care about their cars. They didn't care about their televisions. Everything and anything was expendable for a human soul. They would do anything for their brothers and sisters. And that is love. This is a statement of history, but there is emotion and there is power and there is feeling, intense feeling behind these words. And so theologically, that's what I want you guys to see here. When you see that, think about how they must have felt for them to have done something like that. So the church feels strongly both awe and love. But why? Why do they feel that way? What is the reality? What is, what is true about the world and about Jerusalem that has produced this feeling of awe and love? And the answer is the top of our cake. We're finally here. Woohoo! The point that Luke has been driving at since the beginning of our section. Verse 43b. We'll actually read them together as a whole sentence, which will be amazing. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, to be sure, these two statements relate to the two previous ones, right? Awe sort of relates to, to wonders and signs and selling all that you selling stuff that you have for all the people that have need relates to uh, all who believed were together and had all things in common. So there's more, even more structure there uh, if you care to see it. So these are statements of historical fact. Again, this is a history, but they are also fulfillments. And what I mean by fulfillments is what Matthew means by the word fulfillment when he uses it in his gospel. So in Matthew 1.22 it says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And then normally it's something that happens in the Old Testament. That type of thing. So let, let's talk about the fulfillment of many signs and wonders for a second. So many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. Now this sentence is clearly copying language from 2.22. Which is like just up the road, right? Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works, wonders, and signs. You can circle wonders and signs if you like and 
draw an arrow to the wonders and signs. Um, in, in verse 43, uh, that God did through him in our midst, as you yourselves know. So Jesus is a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs. This is a fulfillment, even in, in Peter's um, sermon, of Joel 2.30, which he quotes in 2.19. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. That's what Peter quotes from Joel 2.30 and Acts 2.19. But Joel catches, Joel is picking up on language from Deuteronomy 34.11 and Deuteronomy 4.34. So 4.34, it, so Moses is talking to Israel. He says, or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, and by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did to you in Egypt before your eyes. Signs and wonders God delivered his people from Pharaoh. But then in Deuteronomy 34, 11, it says, And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants, to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all of Israel. So let's draw this out. Two things are going on here. Jesus is the promised new and better Moses. Deuteronomy 18.15 says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him who you shall listen. Jesus is to him whom you shall listen. Just as Moses delivered his people from the bonds of physical slavery, Jesus delivers his people from spiritual slavery and its terrible sentence of death. Just as Moses destroyed the Egyptian gods in ten plagues that liberated his people, Jesus bound the strong man Satan. And he undoes the work of sin by proclaiming to us good news because we are poor. And he proclaims liberty to us because we are captive. And he gives us our sight back because we are blind. And he sets us at liberty. He sets us free because we are oppressed. And he proclaims to us the year of the Lord's favor. And so we can draw a line from Moses, right? From Moses to Joel to Jesus. And the meaning of that line is that Jesus is delivering his people from the enemies that hold them in captivity. Jesus is here today and he is saying to you, if you have not believed this, that he has paid your way, that he is offering you deliverance from all of your sins, and that he wants to set you free from sin and death. And I want you to notice that this line has a slope, right? It's pointing upward to Jesus. But there's also a line pointing from Jesus down. The point that Luke is making in this line chain is that the apostles are continuing this ministry of Jesus. That when they perform signs and wonders, right? And many wonders and signs are being done through the apostles. What Luke is saying to you, he's saying that Jesus' ministry of deliverance has not ended. The gospel is as true today for you as it was for them. This offer of deliverance is for you today. And so we are like Moses now in the house of God. We are his servants. And we are proclaiming to the world through our signs and wonders of setting people free from Satan's sin and death. Through our proclamation of the good news of what Jesus has done on the cross. And our line is sloping from Jesus through the apostles, to us. But notice at the top of us, and we're all pointing back, right, 
the Old Testament is pointing up to Jesus. And all we do as we serve others and we, we share the good news about what Jesus has done, we are just pointing back up to Jesus. Jesus is the center. He is the one at work. God is here among us. And all we do, all we can do, is keep pointing back to our Savior. Our witness in preaching the gospel is a bold declaration that Jesus is real. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He did suffer under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified. He died. And he was buried. But on the third day, he rose again from the dead and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And from there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. The central point of this passage then is that God is among us to deliver us. But that's not it. Verse 44, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Fulfillment also plays an important role in our understanding of this statement. All who believed were together and had all things in common. Remember John 17. This is where Jesus is praying for us, his church. Verse 11, he says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus is praying for oneness, for fellowship, for commonness among the people of God. And this prayer is fulfilled at least as early as Acts 2.44. But there is more, right? Jesus also said in in John 13.35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus also prayed for this type of love for his people in John 7.26. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And so God is at work among us. He is delivering us from the tyranny of the devil and creating love in us as his people. Deliverance and love. And so we have reached the top of our cake. God is is present among us here in this church. He is here offering himself to you to save you from your sins, and to create in you a love that he has with his son, Jesus. There's nothing that you have to do to make this yours. This is something that you lay hold of through faith. By believing that what Jesus has done on the cross, he has done for you. This is a commitment that that we make as Christians— It is a faith that we latch on to him and say, yes, that is what I believe. And then it becomes the fuel for all the things downslope, right? We have to start at the top of what Jesus has done, and then we can can rest, and then we'll find ourselves starting to slide down, right? We'll devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to the breaking of bread, and to fellowship. We will find ourselves sharing the good news with other people because we can't help but do it because of what Jesus has done for us. And so one of the things that I hope is that if any of this seemed heavy to you or a burden to you, that, ah, I have to devote myself to more fellowship and to more more teaching and, and to more breaking of bread, and I just don't pray enough, and I never share the gospel. What I want you to do today is to not look at all the things that you haven't done, but to look at what Jesus has done on your behalf and what he is actively doing among you even now. He is a good God who is here among us, who is delivering us from all of our sins and making us into a community of love and compassion and care. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful that you are here. We could not exist if you weren't among us. We would have long ago walked away. But you sustain us. You create in us a new heart. You clean us and make us your children. 
You discipline us and show us the way that we are to go. You form us together with bonds of love. And so God, we rest in your work. We want to be all the things that you command. We beg you that we would be all the things that you command. And Lord, we trust that you are the one who will do it among us. That, that we can want it all that we want. But we should not uh, trust in ourselves to get the work done. You are the one who does it. And Lord, let us take steps of faith this week. Take steps of faith to be more of the community that you have created us to be. Not because we have to do it under our own power, but because you, through our simple acts of obedience and faith, will accomplish great things in us. I pray that we would be uh, clear with the gospel. That we would take risks sharing and talking with people who are uh, close to us and that we know and that we love. That we would share with them the message of your beloved son, Jesus. I pray that you would be kind to us and, and lavish us with your grace as you always do. And that we would be steadfast and stalwart in our pursuit of you. Lord, strengthen the hands that are wavering today. Strengthen their hearts. Let them know how deeply they are loved by you. Let them know that you are a God who promises and fulfills. You never abandon us. And you are here in our midst today doing your work because you are God. No purpose of yours will ever be thwarted. No task that you have set out to accomplish can be uh, maimed by anything that we do. And God, let us rest in your love. Your love that seeks us out and pursues us. That forms us into something brand new. We are new creations in Christ. The old things have passed away and behold, new things have come. And that's not our work, God. That's yours. We are made new by you. And so be with us, Lord, as we sing with one voice to you. Help us to, to acknowledge your work among our hearts and strengthen us to do your will. We pray this in Jesus' name.